Sports Talk continues with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. We always look forward to the opportunity to learn from SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. His weekly appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Gerald, how you doing? Doing well, Jimmy. Doing well. well. We're looking forward to uh, going through a few things. Obviously, we'll have some calls. I do want to ask you about just a, a couple of things out there. And one of them was I was, I was watching a game watched so many of them, I forgot which game it was, but there was a quarterback that was scrambling, and he was trying to get a first down. And so, for the sake of argument, he had to get to the 42. So, he he steps out on the 41, but he's reaching the ball out. So, the ball was clearly past the 42 where he needed to get to. But the official saw his foot out of bounds. And I just wonder, from the officiating perspective, how hard is it for the official to look at the foot when it goes out of bounds versus him extending the ball forward when the ball goes out of bounds, crossing the imaginary line. How difficult is that? That's, that's a pretty difficult play to get. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, you do have to watch the foot, and uh, and then over a period of time you learn you know, quickly look at the ball. But the rule states that it's the position of the ball when mm-hmm. you know, it crosses the sidelines when they go out. So. And in some cases, like it could be a yard, a yard and a half ahead of the foot. So they've just got to be a really, you know, really observant to try to catch where that ball is. So procedurally, you're looking foot first, then football. Right. They always right? tell us that that's why it's football. But that same thing on a catch on a pass. Mm-hmm. Look the foot first, then you go immediately to the ball, make sure he's, he's got possession of it. Okay. Yep. I was watching one game. It was, I guess it was Alabama Ole Miss and Alabama punt returner uh, tried to catch it. He muffed it. An Ole Miss player caught it in midair, ran it in, and a lot of people thought it was a touchdown. It wasn't because it was a muff. But just talk about the difference in, in when it would be a touchdown on a situation like that versus a muff punt, and it's possession of other team but not a touchdown. Correct. Okay. What's the rule on that? On the on a scrimmage kick, it could actually be a short field goal also. Um, the uh, – Receiver must gain possession of the ball and, uh, you know, run with it or whatever, but he has to possess it. And then when he possesses it and the ball comes out, that is a fumble. If he never possesses it, you know, just fumbles it around on the ground, in the air, wherever, but he, if he doesn't have possession of it, then the kicking team can recover but not advance. So you can you cannot advance a muff. You can advance a fumble. Correct. And then you got to have possession. I remember seeing that, and I thought when I first saw it and they were talking touchdown, I thought, no, that was Muff. He didn't ever look like he had full possession of it, which he didn't. But he kind of bobbled it up right. in the air for a little while before it was uh, caught in the air by Ole Miss. Uh, it, it can become a hot potato and things like that. For yeah. sure. um, I saw this also, and, and I – okay, so I missed this. Even though I went through um, uh, Steve Shaw's seminar down in Destin with all this stuff, I didn't get this one right. So I'm watching the game, and there was a player led with his helmet, and he hit somebody in the chest. Okay. Did not hit him in the helmet, didn't hit him in the face mask. He led with the helmet, hit him in the chest. And I thought, well, he didn't hit him above, so that's not targeting. They called targeting, and they ejected him. Okay. So help me out on that one. Why All would right. that be targeting when you didn't hit him above the helmet, you hit him in the chest? Well, but he led with the helmet. Okay. If you hit him... With the helmet, it can be anywhere mm-hmm. uh, because it, that rule is particularly to protect the tackler. Mm-hmm. If you lower that head, and there again, the 
uh, dividing line is where the face mask attaches to the helmet opening. Anything from there up is considered crown of the helmet. Mm-hmm. And then that, that would be targeting. And that's the way you get targeting against a runner. You could hit him in the arm. Is that right? With targeting? With, I mean, if you lower well, the helmet? You have to attack with forcible contact. Well, it was forcible, okay. yeah. 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 I was sitting here trying to think. I couldn't think quick enough. You have to meet all three elements. That's right, yeah. And In three indicators. And, and I was like, well, I, did, I don't know what that third indicator was, but I couldn't come up with two okay. on that particular play. But I, it, he wasn't defenseless, so that was not a part of right. the equation. Right, Because he was a ball carrier. But he got nailed. He did lower his helmet and hit him right in the chest. Right. And boom, and, targeting. And where you you can, of course, obviously, on against a runner and uh, and or quarterback. You know, you see that. You know, it, you're seeing less of it, but you will see that from time to time. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, another situation and get your take on this. So um, a, a lot of times we've heard with officials, and this wouldn't apply to just college football, but it would apply to the NFL as well. A lot of times if there's a, an offensive holding penalty, if it's not near the point of attack, if it's 20 or 25 yards away from the ball, there's a chance you let it go and you don't call it if it has nothing to do with the play right. on, on holding. There there are some philosophy you know, to officiating. Okay. Common sense, really. But, but. Uh, all right, let's apply this one. So a quarterback is back to throw. He scrambles a little bit. He gets out of the pocket. And he, he throws it out of bounds. It's not intentional grounding because he's out of the pocket. He throws it out of bounds. But there's a lineman downfield. Is there a penalty for a lineman being downfield when a quarterback is throwing the ball away out of bounds? No, actually, that used to be a philosophy, but it has become one of the 300-so exceptions <laughs> to the rules. It's in the rule book that if uh, he legally is grounding the ball mm-hmm. and there's a lineman downfield, then – that that is not a foul. If you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. If uh, you've got a question or comment about the rule book, Gerald, it's, uh, it's been something to see the way this heat has hung on. I'm sure that has been really enjoyable for a lot of the crews these past couple of Saturdays. That. It's been brutal. It really has. Uh, our game this week uh, was 113 on the field, and that was a grass field. Uh, the fans, they were carting the fans out pretty pretty regularly during that game. And it's uh, it's one of the, the only good thing about having to do that mile-and-a-half run for the officials on the field. <laughs> Let's get a call from Dan, who joins us. Hello, Dan. Dan, you with us? Heard something click. Dan? All right. We'll put Dan back on hold. 656-9900 is how you join us. 656-9900 puts you on Sports Talk. Jill, uh, I also wanted to ask you about this one, and I, I saw a play that intrigued me the other day, but I wanted to ask you, in, in, um, in college football, uh, can you fake a spike? Is that allowed? I I wonder because I was watching a team that looked like they were fixing to spike it, and they hurried up and they were acting like it. So the quarterback took the snap. He handed it to an up back. Quarterback rolled out right, and the up back went to the left. 
there was hardly anybody on defense over there. I don't remember if he scored, but he, he might have, but he ran a long way. But the team thought he was going to spike it. Is there is there room for – can you fake a spike in college football? The spike, yes, you could. Now, you cannot fake taking a knee. That's – you know, that's, oh, okay. uh, that's, that's one of them that came in and, oh, the fumble Ruski play that coach Bowden had mm-hmm. success with, uh, they've, they've outlawed that where it's, and that's it, where you put it on the ground right, and then, and then yeah, come okay. around and pick it up, but you can hand it off to somebody and he can take it right. off. Yeah, you can. Okay. So, all right. Got you. Let's talk to Stan. Hello, Stan. How are you? Hey guys. Thanks for taking my call. Thank uh, you for calling in. I've got two questions for Gerald, and the first one has to do with the new rules about the uniform with the knee pads. Uh, I know that they put the rule in and, and suspended it for, I think, one year, but I was thinking that this year that you had to have knee pads that covered the knee, and I'm seeing so many, especially receivers and even linebackers. I've noticed our linebackers, their knee pads, they've got a little knee pad in there, but it's nowhere near covering the knees. And then my second pet peeve that I call about every year is the hands-to-the-face calls. I mean, we get a 15-yard penalty if you bump a uh, you know, a quarterback in the face. The offensive linemen are getting more and more of the hands in the face with them, which needs to be called. But we're still not – I've never seen – a running back get called for a stiff arm to the defender's face mask, and that happens every game. And I can see a stiff arm to the chest or a stiff arm even to the side of the helmet, but, I mean, there's just so many stiff arms that are right to the defender's face mask that, that never, you know, I've never seen one called. And I'll get off and listen to your response. Thanks. Sure. Well, those are being called more now than they've ever been. As long as there is a clear grasping and turning of the exactly. face mask if they grasp it uh and there again that's where you will get against a running back is if they actually grab and twist or turn the face mask uh as far as the uh, you know the interior line play uh they'll call that just about every time you get that your hand up under those big heavy cage face masks you can you can take that defensive man wherever you want to go or offenses they get it called on the offense just as much but you can put a hand directly on a face mask right. to defend yourself. If you're a runner, you just can't grasp exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, and then the knee pad issue is uh, it needs some work or it needs some, uh, I guess, a more even uh, enforcement Enforcement from different, different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. But I've seen a lot of them that were four inches above the knee and nothing. Is that supposed to be something that's enforced before the start of the game while teams are warming up, or is that something that can be enforced during the game? can be enforced during the game, but the officials, when they visit the coach's locker room or the team's locker room before the game, they have a form mm-hmm. that uh, someone has to sign stating that all of their players are properly equipped and they know how, they know what proper equipment is. And somewhere between there and getting on the on the field, you can see it on TV that uh, it's not always enforced. It is interesting how there are a lot of areas in which college and the NFL are in lockstep, but this seems to be one where they've gone in separate directions because for a while college was at your own peril, but now they've gone back to where you are expected to have protection for the entire knee in terms of the uniform. Right, and you're supposed to have knee pads, Mm -hmm. and the pants are supposed to cover the knee. Yeah, 
You look at the NFL, especially with some kickers, it's like they're wearing bicycle shorts. Exactly. exactly. I mean, there's just not a hint of a pad anywhere along, and it's right. just like, what is? what exactly are... They have to buy those from a different company as opposed to the ones that the linemen are wearing. Exactly. So, or they have them altered, put yes. it that way. Yeah, that's, that is crazy to see. And again, that comes at, at your own peril. Um, one thing, if, for instance, a team comes out of a weekend game and it feels like it got shortchanged in terms of officiating. Sometimes they'll put together uh, a video. Sometimes they'll just make a call and say, we were flagged for this and we don't think we should have been. Does the week's crew, does that week's crew, are you ever aware that, I mean, do you get a heads up that says, hey, you just had Auburn and Mississippi State. Do they know um, that Mississippi State called in with a complaint or how is that handled and, and how does the crew get informed, if at all? Well, the crew is graded mm-hmm. every game. Each official is graded on every play. Mm-hmm. So the we have film graders uh, that during the week uh, will take a film, and I, I don't do it, but uh, they're, the guys that actually grade the film say it will take them roughly eight hours to grade a film. Wow. You have eight officials. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sometimes can have 200 or more plays, multiply that by eight. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, uh, it really takes a lot. Then when they, they arrive at the game site on Friday night, they have a, a crew meeting and they have their, their grades and comments and you'll have one, one person grade the film. And then, uh, if there are downgrades or, you know, questions then we have position specialists at each of the eight positions and they'll look at it also and then they'll write a comment and uh, the uh, typically the red comments that you get online are not the good ones but it, it mentioned but they are aware of, uh, of every every play you know where they have a good play bad play or whatever that's what the, the purpose of the Friday night film session so for instance if it was the back judge who was in question with, say, this fictional account of Mississippi State, then perhaps the back judge specialist would be the one to say, here's something about this play. Or, I mean, it, do, you, do you know whether or not a school has, has lodged a complaint or questioned something, or does that ever get filtered down to the crew as it works one week to the next? Oh, not usually. Okay. I mean, in general, mm-hmm. you do. I mean, you know, there's – you want to look at a certain aspect of a play and, you know, you can probably figure out, you know, if it was your game. Okay. Uh, but the, uh, the position specialist, you know, the film grader will, you know, everyone starts out with a hundred and then there are certain degrees of, you know, uh, points taken away for different things. And, uh, kind of like a restaurant. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so except 70 you got to do better than 70 <laughs> uh, and then if the film grader say marks an official down it goes to his position specialist okay. and, and sometimes the, because obviously the guys grading the films mostly worked one position their whole career uh, and they'll you know so if it's a position they haven't worked they'll the position specialist will chime in and they'll they may take the the points off and put them back on. So, mm-hmm. it, so it works that way. It's kind of a checks and balance. Let's get a call from Robert. Hi, Robert. How are you? Uh, doing great, guys. Thanks for taking my call. 
Thank you for calling. Uh, I've always wondered why is pass interference, defensive pass interference in the end zone, not ruled a touchdown? And I and I say that for a couple of reasons. A lot of times, you know, when the ball is placed, then a running back gets credit for a rushing touchdown. And I always just wonder what the real reason their pass interference is not automatically ruled a touchdown. I don't know why it would be. Why do you think it would be or should be? Well, if the if the interference occurs in the end zone and the receiver's wide open, wouldn't you teach your defensive backs to possibly just automatically tackle the receiver? Well, he's wide open. Yeah. You might not be able to get to him. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, that, wide open. that does happen, yes. That's, uh, you know, yeah. saving, the, saving the touchdown. I mean, that's just, you know. There, there aren't really any penalties that award a score. Uh, the, right. re, the referee can, in extreme circumstances, award a score for you know somebody coming off the bench and tackling. I was about to say the Rose Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's another one too. If you have offensive holding in the end zone, your own end zone, yeah, you could get a safety. Right. That very. That's a score for the other team. Correct. Correct. Yes. But yeah, there's a score involved. Right. Yeah. Exactly. For a penalty. Right. Okay. I just always thought that, you know, obvious pass interference in the end zone should just be a could be ruled a touchdown automatically. But then you're assuming the guy's gonna catch it and not drop it. Too. Exactly. <laughs> that's just it. No, you can't the, you can't assume that. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, All sir. Right. Thank you. Sure to appreciate it. Uh one thing you hear is that as uh, for instance, sometimes a defense can struggle, uh when it is right up in a goal line situation because you just don't have as much space to operate. And I'm curious, does it cause any kind of restriction on the officiating crew for the fact that you have a crew of eight and you guys have specific places on the field when it is shortened to the degree that you're operating with about 11 yards uh, in which to put everybody in their regular positions, how much does that impact a crew in terms of where they're lined up versus where they might be if it were in the middle of the field? Sure. Um, if, well, if they're inside the seven-yard line, mm-hmm. you have three officials across the end line, and then the uh, the two wingmen, the head line judge now, and, and the uh, uh, field or line judge have the goal line so they uh it's it's interesting it gets interesting so you have a first down marker on the two and you're snapping from the six mm-hmm. you have two lines you have to worry about you know, first did he get a first down and then did he score mm-hmm. so they're moving you know up in and out what that way and then you know from inside the 20 uh you know the guys on the uh Deep guys will be on the goal or outside the twenty. They'll be on the goal line, and then move to the end line as play dictates. That's where you typically get your pick plays on mm-hmm. pass, you know, passing plays. So they're aware of that very much. So our guest is SEC replay official Gerald Hodges, and his appearance is brought to you by AG Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. We've got more with Gerald coming up as you listen to Sports Talk. Like. All the time. It's not a lifestyle we chose. We were born this way. 99.1, the sports animal.
Our guest is SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. To join us, 656-9900, 656-9900. It's Eric who's up next. Hello, Eric. Hey, how you doing, guys? Fine, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, so on Saturday, there was a, a, a play that I saw in that uh, that Florida game where a receiver, he caught the ball across the middle in the end zone, and, and he just reached out and just dropped it on the ground. Now, I have seen receivers possess the ball longer than he did, and it be called incomplete. So the way he presented that, could that not have been a taunting call? Or, I mean, because, I mean, it was obviously that he possessed the ball. But, I mean, there have been many times when the ball's been in their hands longer than that because I don't know if you saw it, but it was a short period of time that he had that football. Uh, no, Kenny, I didn't see it, of course, but I was at another game. But uh, a taunting, if he sticks it in the, in an opponent's face that i mean he that, or drops it at his feet right or drops at his feet or if he's on the ground drops it on on the ground but if he just sticks the ball out and drops it uh, of course he always runs the risk of that being called an incomplete pass so you better hold right, on to it right. and make sure you've scored we've had for that's what those. i thought when i saw it too <laughs> uh, that could be so and uh, I, I know this is an NFL deal, but how do you feel about this dude from the Raiders that's been suspended for the season? Man, was that, was that the dirtiest hit you've seen in a long time or what? And I'll hang up with him. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I've seen him do it multiple times. <laughs> yeah. So it, it ranks with him. But <laughs> it was the, the league couldn't get that suspension out fast enough. No, they and they, they've seen the act before. And, Jimmy, you were looking at it earlier that somebody had totaled up how much money he had been fined. In his career. Chris Mortensen said it was the 13th time he'd been suspended or ejected from a game, and and the fines total over $4 million. And that doesn't count whatever he's going to lose this year. So he he had accumulated that much. Right. And so suspended for the rest of the year, that would be 12 games. He would not be paid for the last three quarters of the season. Wow. Is that something? Is We don't see it often. Uh, in fact, it's very rare. There is the automatic penalty that goes if you are ejected for targeting in the first half, then you miss the rest of that game. If you're ejected for targeting in the second half, then you miss the first half of the next game. Right. Um, do you think we could get to a point where there might be a longer penalty or suspension that a player could incur with, say, violence or unsportsmanlike conduct on the field? Well, now they're... That is this year. If you receive a third targeting foul cumulative in the season, then you know you're out for whatever that game, and then you're also out for all of the next game. Okay, so, so they, you could get a game and a half, of, you know, suspension. In other words, if you did that in the first half, of one game, you're going to get that game, and then if that was your third one for the year, then you would miss another full game. So, at times we have seen it where there have been instances, and Jimmy, it's been happening for a long time, but now that there are more cameras and all games are on television, but you see somebody perhaps trying to injure an opponent and on purpose twisting a leg or an Mm -hmm. ankle uh, in a pile. If there were footage like that, do you think that's something that we should see perhaps more of a conference stepping in to say we will not tolerate that if indeed it is – from one of the teams in their league. Oh, I would think that would be used. They're, I'm sure if it were a 
recurring instance, especially for a same player or a team. You know, I'm not aware of that, but yeah. they absolutely they have the uh, resources to go back and look at those things. I don't know. Can you think of a time that we've seen it? I mean, because we have seen, I mean, where it would be a player for school A who just hones in on a guy and hits him well after a play is done, and that might be a penalty right then, but I don't think, Jimmy, that we've seen many conferences step in in terms of player discipline in that regard, and and who knows? I I just think that if it is something that is completely and totally uh, uncalled for and spot on somebody trying to hurt somebody else, I think a conference should be a little more proactive. You know, the good news is I watch a lot of college football. The bad news is I can't always remember which game it incurred Mm -hmm. in, but I thought I remembered seeing a Florida-Kentucky game where a Kentucky player was twisting the ankle of a Florida player in a pile. That was Trask. Yes. Yeah. Against against Trask, and I'm thinking, okay, I, I wonder if you could step in and look at that and say, no, we're not tolerating that. Uh, but one of the things, Gerald, that I there's a part of me that wishes uh, you could jump in as a conference and say we're not going to allow that and we're going to punish this guy. But from what I understand from the SEC, they do not want to retroactively punish anybody. Correct. Whether it's targeting or anything else, right? right? They would rather it be handled on the field. Yeah. So, so but yeah, I, I have uh, I've seen a little bit of that go on. But I remember that deal with Trash, where this guy was in there trying to twist his ankle around a little bit and. No, he came out and said that his arm had gotten trapped underneath a bunch of legs, and and it was a lineman that was laying on him, and he wouldn't on purpose. It's Cash Daniels. Yes, he was trapped by trash. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So uh, that was trash talk. He would not tolerate anyone yeah. doing that to one of his teammates, nor would he ever do that to someone else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but I, I, I just. And then wonder. there was an Alabama player that I think, if I remember it correctly, it was an LSU game. And I thought it was a lineman, a defensive lineman for Alabama that that nailed oh, somebody in the back. He punched him. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. It wasn't Raekwon Davis, I don't think, but it was an Alabama defensive lineman. Could have been Jonathan Allen or somebody. Actually, threw a punch. Right. And uh, as I recall, he got away. He should have been ejected. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what the result of that was. But yeah, you could see him throw the punch. I mean, it was obvious, hmm. which should have. Led to an ejection. Uh, anyway, let's go next to Kenny. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Kenny. Hi. How are you guys? Fine. How are you? Good. I had a, a question for the official there. I saw a game a few weeks ago where a receiver ran on a, on a ten or fifteen yard out pattern, and, and the quarter and he was fronted by a defender, so he threw it out kind of away, threw it over his head out of bounds. Another defender playing back ran out of ran toward the ball, left the field of play inbounds, jumped really high into the air, swatted the ball, and it almost made it to a, a teammate. Would that have been a, a legal play, or would he be out of bounds with the plane of the uh, of the sideline? Well, the play the ball would still be in play as as long as the player that batted it had not touched out of bounds. In other words, he's airborne okay. jumping from the field and bats it back in, uh, that then the ball would still be alive. It wouldn't because it you know, would cause it come out of bounds. Yeah, I wonder about that because the quarterback never saw this guy and I mean he jumped so high and swatted. But it landed on the ground. Also, uh when the quarterback throws a ball out of bounds, 
the clock still runs until it touches something. Is that correct? Yes, it does. It has to hit something <laughs> out of bounds. Or, or it should. It should. Yeah, it should. <laughs> it should. And, yeah, right. uh, and, you know, because there's always a chance of getting a, a slim chance. It could be blown back in, literally. But that's a rarity. But, yeah, yeah, it typically has to hit something out of bounds. Okay, well, thanks very much. Yes, sir. Sure do appreciate it, Kenny. Thank right. you. We'll get a break. We've got one more segment with Gerald Hodges to join us. 656-9900. 656-9900. That puts you on Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. The king of beer, the king of sports. Live from the Budweiser studios of Cumulus Broadcasting, this is Sports Radio WNML. A final segment to today's edition of Sports Talk. I'm John Wilkerson with Jimmy Himes, our guest, SEC replay official, Gerald Hodges. Gerald, I think one of the hardest things to do in, from the officiating standpoint is uh, to call pass interference. I certainly think in the NFL it's hard because I'm watching pass interference and I think I know what it is, and they say, no, it's not. But anyway, moving beyond that, uh, one of the things I think might be hard for officials is calling the pick play. And I've, I've seen a number of them, and I'm trying to figure out Whose responsibility is it to get out of the way? Is it the receiver's responsibility to get out of, on a crossing route to get out of the way of the defender? Or is it the defender's responsibility to get out of the way of the receiver? Well, Jimmy, the basic premise is that the defensive player has a right to a spot on the field. Mm-hmm. And it's up to the receivers to avoid, to avoid contact with the defense. And so then... You get into where they're both moving, that type of thing. But, and it's a tough call. It really is. But uh, they are much more, the officials on the field are much more aware when you get inside the 20-yard line. The yeah, closer, closer you get to the goal line, the more likely that's going to happen. Now, there, you know, there are ways that you can, you can run a pick play legally, you know, but you can't go out, if you're the receiver, you can't go out of your way to make contact with the defender, obviously. I saw a play in the game, and uh, I'm not sure which one. It was over the weekend, where this team was was trying to throw a screen pass over the middle to a running back who kind of delayed, and it was going to be like a middle screen. Right. And the defensive player, when the ball was thrown, knocked down or tackled the running back, and there was no call. Okay. And And the ball was intercepted. And I thought, wait a minute, that has to be pass interference. But the receiver was behind the line, right in the middle of the field, but he was behind the line. What's the rule on that? Can you can you knock down or tackle an intended receiver when the ball's in the air like that? If it's behind the line of scrimmage, oh, yes. It, you, know, the ball, you can. Right. Okay. Now, you can block them. You can't tackle them. They'd be holding. You can shove them. You can shove them, yeah. Okay. Well, the coach went nuts because I saw – because it got intercepted right. at the goal line. Right. And I'm like, wait a minute, that guy hit the receiver hard. It was a running back, but right. he just kind of took a step left. And it was right near the center, right in the middle of the field on about the three-yard line. Right. So maybe that's a, another reason not to be throwing the football uh, from the three-yard line. That's but, true. And, <laughs> that's a little risky. But I, I wondered about that, right. if you could go ahead and hit somebody or – uh, like that, and so the answer to that is yes. Right, and that's the same thing. The ball doesn't cross the line of scrimmage. You can have receivers downfield blocking. I mean, you know, offensive men. 
the slip screen, that type of thing. Yeah. If the ball doesn't cross, they can go block all they want to. They're not restricted. Yeah. As long as it's thrown by the line of scrimmage. And okay. that's a tough one, too, because it's right at the line. Yeah. Joe, we appreciate it. Well, thank, thank you, you for joining us. I always it. look forward to seeing you on Mondays to uh, go over the rules and make sure we know what we're talking about sometimes. <laughs> Hopefully we do. <laughs> <laughs> Gerald, have a great week. Safe travels, and we'll talk to you next Monday. We'll do it. Thank you. That's Gerald Hodges. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember.